Hey everyone, this is Alex with the Piffles Podcast here. Just want to give you guys a heads up that we recorded this episode of the Piffles Podcast on Tuesday night before the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Garrett Marino released their statements. So we did not talk about the state those statements in this show, but uh, we did address the situation and of course look ahead to this game upcoming Touchdown Atlantic. So again, this show was recorded on Tuesday night when we just had Jeremiah Mazzoli's statement and not the statement from the Riders. Hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, thanks for listening. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. This is the Piffles Podcast, your premier Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. And as always, it's the one that doesn't suck. Thank you, Kurt Angle. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I can stands all I can stands and I can't stands no more. When we get Popeye on the show? Uh, it was, yeah, I got nothing. Maybe it's a Dancing Pete uh, or a Handsome Pete reference at this point. I don't know anywhere. <laughs> Get our obligatory Simpsons reference. I, I'm getting it out early because I don't know. If I'm going to be able to make it in through the back half of this show. Let's put it that way. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Pod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You can find me at Safamod. And you're probably going to block me on Greg on Sports later. So let's just move. <laughs> Piffles podcast brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. We have plenty to talk about here. Let's jump right into it, guys. Time for the opening kickoff. Did something happen? Um, I, I was Riders, completely aware that anything happened. Well, the Riders won this past Friday against Ottawa. We all said that they would. An untainted win, too. Untainted. Very, very regular. 60-minute victory, nothing out of the ordinary. How many, how many times are we going to say the word taint in this show? Enough and, how many times times beer. and how many times are we going to laugh about it? Because the answer is every time. Because that's a funny word. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, be, before we get to what we know, obviously, we're going to talk about here, let's actually talk about the game itself, especially the, I mean, basically the first half, because the second half was a lot of nothing. Um, Riders was win it? 28 28- well, <laughs> until a couple minutes left. Riders win 28-13, moving their record to 4-1. and one. Very important in the West right now, especially with BC getting their first loss and uh, keeping pace with, uh, with Winnipeg and Calgary, of course. I want to start with the running game. This team has turned into a running team, which we don't really see a lot of in the CFL anymore. And this little two-head, two-headed monster they have with Jamal Morrow and Frankie Hickson is... I'm impressed in what Jason Moss has done over the past couple of weeks, especially with Cody Fajardo limited with, with mobility issues, having that brace on his knee and the limp that he says is going to be there until he's fully healthy, probably after the bye week. What they've done is, is nothing short of fantastic. And this run game, I cannot talk about enough. Like it's just fantastic football they're playing right now. Raise your hand if you, if you predicted the riders would have a strong running game all season long. Now put your hand down, you liars. 
No, nobody predicted this under Jason Moss. He doesn't like to run the ball, except when he does, I guess. And how do you not the way the way Mar- Morrow and uh, Hickson have performed over the last couple of weeks? They're well, this, they're an unstoppable duo. This was the first week I actually didn't start Hickson as a value choice on as a running back, and I I am totally kicking myself for changing that. Uh, like I said, I like the way he hits the hole, and he hit that hole hard, and he was gone. That's the one thing I like about him. And Morrow, he can show he can dance out there, but he's actually showing once he hits that first cut, he can move too. But I think part of the reason why our running game is so good, and I think I brought up in the past, is our offensive linemen are better run blockers than pass blockers right now. It's easier for them to go on offense, so to speak, blast out of the blocks, than it is for them to step back and try to protect Cody. So it's definitely going to help us until Cody gets healthier and this offensive line comes together. Using Jamal Morrow out of the backfield as a receiver. He's, what, second on the team in catches? Uh, he's been great out of the backfield. They had three Frankly. running back sets. Yeah. Both Hickson, Morrow, and uh, a fullback out there at times. It was it was fun to see. Like, it was awesome football. If you, it if it you reminds like- me of, like, that old-school football, that smash-mouth football. And no, Again, who would have thought that's what we'd see under Moss? The, yeah. the guy who loves the aerial attack. And Franking Hickson, of course, with that 63-yard touchdown run, um, that was just that was just beautiful. That was that was all him, and uh, just wonderful. And I like the halftime interview uh, where Sarah Orleski asked him, "Are you going to keep the ball?" He says, "Well, I'm probably going to give it to my mom for you know maybe about a week. Maybe I'll give it to her for two weeks and, and trade it, and she'll give it back to me in, in exchange for some cookies or something like that." I like this guy. Like that. That was a fun interview. That's the kind of stuff I like to see good character from the, from what it seems like we're seeing personality, which is great. And I just can't say enough about this run game. Like, it's just, like you said, Steve, who would have thought that that's what, when you look at the starting receivers, when everybody's healthy, we don't need a running back like that. Or we don't need a running game. Like these are solid enough receivers, but the way that they're doing things, especially with all the injuries that receiver and still putting up, 28 points in this game, 30 plus, you know, the week before 40, 41, the week before is just phenomenal. And of course, Duke Williams getting his first touchdown of the season. Um, Great read going across the field by Cody Fajardo on that one. And Duke finally had his, I mean, his biggest game of the season so far with uh, what, 76 yards. Um, But he was great. There was a couple that he missed as well too, that, that Fajardo just missed him on. And yeah, he and Cody haven't quite found that stride yet, but cause there was that one in the art, well, where our seats are in the uh, North end zone, where if Cody would have hit him, like that was an easy touchdown. It was just a little too, uh, a little too high. And with that one though, I do have a question for you guys. Like, do you feel like, cause I was just off the fingertips. They're paying Duke Williams a lot of money. At what point do you have to kind of look at him and say, okay, we're paying you a lot of money. You got to start delivering. Is there a point that you start thinking that? But he couldn't get any more height on that if he wanted to. Like that, that ball was out of uh, out of reach for most players. Duke was lucky he even got a fingertip on that thing. So, but on the flip I'm not hanging side, on that's, on the flip side, that's the kind of catch he was making last year. He he's been dropping a few through the first cup, the last couple of games, and it's not quite at concern level yet. But it's at is everything okay level. Because it's it's starting to get a little uh, 
a little worrisome. I don't expect it to continue because he's still, in my opinion, the best receiver in the CFL or top three, but he's got to start making those catches that, uh, that he's paid for. Well, you also have to remember he's been burned twice this year by kicking the ball up by trying to do too much with it. At that point, he's probably thinking I may as well just let the ball hit the ground if I don't think I can get it. So that might just be a head thing for him too. And of course, Kean Schaefer Baker getting another touchdown. Just keep feeding him the ball. Like I said last week, just give him the ball 12, 15 times a game. Like target him relentlessly. This guy is a stud. Uh, give him the ball. He makes things happen. If you don't count the fullbacks, he's our third running back too. Like <laughs> the, the amount of times that uh, um, Moss goes for that sweep with him now is just great. And even the bubble screens to him are like positive yards every time. Like, yeah, KSB is gone to NFL. He's going to get a look. Enjoy any, him while we got him. Any excuse you can get to get him into the end zone and get that beautiful hair back on uh, back on TV too. The the more screen time that uh, I don't know what you what you'd call it, but that that hairstyle gets the better. I don't know why you're obsessed with hair, Steve. What's that? Yeah. Why are you so obsessed with hair? Uh, you'd think that'd be flipped around on this show, but you know, it's mostly <laughs> my jealousy of the inability to do whatever that is with my hair. I can grow it long, but it just sits there. All right. Well, give a shout out here in the first half to the team for no pe- no penalties. The most undisciplined team in the league going into the, the game. Not one penalty in the first half. Got to give them props for that because they actually finally got it together. That first half fourth- was fast. Easily the most disciplined game of football I've seen this year. A full 60 minutes of perfect football from this team. No, I couldn't believe when we questions. hit the three-minute warning. Like, when we hit the three-minute warning, I'm like, seriously? Like, that was that was a fast half of football. Probably because we weren't uh, having so many explanations for, for the referee. But, yeah, it was great football. Also because Al Bradbury was nowhere near the building. That's why there's no flags. <laughs> and then the second half happened. And, I mean... Not a lot happened until five minutes left in the game when, of course, Dino Boyd decided, hey, I'm going to hit Pete Robertson late while he's on the ground and dirty hit. Absolutely. 100 percent. And we're going to start getting into it right now. Bad hit should be should he be suspended for that? Fine, for sure. I think he should be suspended, but it ended up giving Pete Robertson a sprained foot, a severely sprained foot. He's out four to six weeks. And he's been the star of this defense, which is loaded with stars. He's been the best one. And that's a big loss for the Riders' defense um, for as long as he's out. But what do you guys think of the hit by Dino Boyd on uh, Pete Robertson? I I think it was dirty. I think it was a a finable hit. I don't know if it was a suspendable hit. we, We heard today that it's likely he's not getting suspended. I mean, you probably see that a dozen times a year. It just happened to lead to an injury. That didn't feel like it was as outrageous as Ryder fans were making it out to compare it to the other hit that we'll talk about later. It, it, at least it was in the general vicinity of a block, I guess, kind of. I don't know. I'm not as outraged about that one as, as everybody else is. It, it happens. Those tourist hits need to stop. It's that simple. Like Mac, 
Oh, oh, Meathead Mac Henry was also notorious for doing those too. Um, not by no means do I think they should get a free pass because Mac used to do them, but they're going to hurt somebody. And obviously they did in this situation. This could have been a lot worse. Like he's lucky to sprain foot, not a broken foot. That probably would have ended his season because feet take forever to heal. So yeah, I, I don't like it. Do I, obviously we heard he's probably not going to get suspended. So, so be it. It's just going to be another can of gas to throw on the Twitter fire. <laughs> and that Twitter fire of course happened, uh, due to a play basically the next play Garrett Marino going after Dino Boyd trying to take out his legs which I mean I get you want to defend your teammate I understand that hit the guy legally and knock him the f out I'm all for that that's great to go out there and try to take the guy's legs out and injure him and then two plays later go out there and actually injure Jeremiah Mazzoli with that late hit going after his shins, which is not the first time he's done that to Jeremiah Mazzoli. This is the second time in two games against him. He's did. He's done. That is absolute garbage. Well, and the fact that we've got a guy sitting here, we've seen the outrage that's come from that hit, but the fact that we've got a guy that's played 12 games in the CFL and is apparently unilaterally hated by locker rooms across the CFL should tell us, everything we need to know about his style of play players across the league have come out. You know, uh, we've heard, we've heard sources from other locker rooms. We've heard, we've heard all the crap that you're, you're going to hear. Uh, and I'm sure Greg will have a few things to say on that later, but, <laughs> but you know, when you've got this kind of history, you're probably not the guy you want to be going out, making that, you know, retaliation, hit and you sure as heck don't want to be the one doing the illegal retaliatory retaliatory hit you've already got the history they're gonna come down on you and i hope that what they did is enough to get him to turn his game around we know the team's not going to do anything about it they're not going to release him it'd be dumb if they did i'm sorry like by no means am i going to defend garrett marino for stuff like this anyone who's watched him play over the last two years knows the type of player he is he trots that line and more often than not he crosses it like i said he's he's in the same vein as mac henry unfortunately just a little more killer instinct i guess for lack of a better term but i'm not going to defend marino on the hit that's just garbage the thing that got to me was everybody came out of the woodwork on this like it got it got absolutely unbearable online with the rhetoric and the accusations and at one point me and michael ball were on the same side that never happens oh thank god ballsy actually went further than i'm like okay good me and ballsy aren't the same guy i was a little concerned about my mental sanity for a second but we get it gary marino sucks just walk away not every writer fan endorses that play. Not every Ryder fan is a piece of garbage and not every Ryder fan thinks Gary Marino should be in this league. So everyone needs to get off their friggin' high horse before I start snapping. Cause it was close. And let's, let's be honest, no matter what play or what team this guy plays for, let's say, let's say Garrett Marino was a BC lion or an Edmonton elk or a Montreal Alouette. The response from the fans is going to be exactly the same in every stadium in North America. 
that's how this works. You're going to have a handful of morons who, who cheer and think this is great, who think his behavior afterwards was fantastic and the racial comments were fantastic. And you're going to have those in every fan base. And then you're going to have the 95% who are, you know, decent human beings. The, the problem seems to be whenever it happens with green and white, we, we seem to get, I, I don't know the right word for it, but it like a brighter shine on that incident. And it's like, we don't defend it, but, or the, that we, that we're all out here defending the hit. And it's not the case. Like right after the hit and everything that came out, almost every comment I saw on Twitter, every comment on Facebook was garbage play should be suspended. Garbage play should be cut. Garbage play find them there there was nobody that was like that was a great hit and the other comments were when are rider fans going to call this out but also my problem with with it was is in real time in the stadium this is this is how i view, view that play ball goes back to mazzoli mazzoli goes back mazzoli throws i'm looking at the ball down the field i'm not even looking behind the play do you know what happened mazzoli's on the ground marino's freaking out next thing you know there's pushing and shoving they bring up the trainers. Marino's walking off. Bunch of Red Blacks come on the field. The coaches come on the field. More Red Blacks come on the field. More pushing and shoving. Marino's getting kicked out of the game. And everyone's like, what the hell happened? There's almost this brawl on the sideline. Then Marino goes off flexing and going, yelling, let's go, firing up the fans on his way out. I guarantee you a good 90% of those fans had no idea what was going on. But then we got Richie Leone going, oh, see, Saskatchewan fans are cheering on the racist. They must be racist, too. I'm like, what are you talking about? Things happen in real time. Not all of us have the benefit sitting on our couches of replay. I didn't even know the what happened why he, on the initial tackle until I got home and going, oh, crap, that was bad. And that was before the racist crap came out. Or, sorry, heritage. Oh, no, Jeremiah Masoli came out and said it was racist crap. So we, we can use that term now. We're good. So I can call the NHL racist classic from now on? But, <laughs> like, I get it. It's an easy target. And, yes, do I think Aaron Marino should be in the league? Probably not. But at the same time, I don't want him lining up against Cody Fajardo, but that's not the writer's decision to make. You cut him tomorrow, some team is going to sign him unless the CFL goes, nah, we're not honoring that contract. The CFL does not have the stones to do it because the PA is behind it. And quit saying the PA should not defend their players because that's why they pay their dues. That's not the way a PA works, people. Join a union. It, they have to defend everybody. doesn't matter if they're really good or really bad. Well, but well, they're the not, they're they're not this- defending Masoli, though. Yeah, but the thing is, is, in a situation like this, as awkward as it sounds, Jeremiah Mazzoli is not the victim here. It is Garrett Marino because of the suspension. Yes. And that's what they have to defend is the suspension. So Garrett Marino does get four games, two hits, two games for that late hit on Mazzoli, which uh, generally speaking, late hits like that don't ever get suspended. So that was that was the interesting. extra crack on it, I think, is the yeah. issue. One comment for or one game for his comments on Mazzoli's heritage and note how the, like you guys said, they said heritage in that they didn't say race because I don't think the CFL wants to get into that and it's too late now, but uh, that, that's coming, but they wanted to, they don't want the headline CFL racism in the same line. Like they want nothing to do with that. So that's why they used heritage. Um, 
and then one hit one game for his hit on Dino Boyd. So four games, the most games suspended for every any one in-game incident um, in CFL history. Well, technically, so no, on-field, on-field. On-field. Six so was the Edwards last year. Which ended up going down to three. Which is why this one's going to be two. And yeah. like, like I said to you when Steve was getting ready, this is getting down to two because this is what they're going to do. This is exactly how they're going to play it. They're going to knock off that Boyd one. Because they're like, you know what, you know what, fair, fair to the boy one, whatever. They are going to knock the late hit down to one, and then they're going to keep the heritage one just to say, see, we we are hard on the people that uh, say stuff like that. That has no part of our game. I don't think they knock it down from four to two. I don't see any situation where he walks away from this with a two game suspension, given all of the uproar that we've seen and everything that they've got, and the fact that they put down three separate suspensions. My my guess, if I had to figure out how this ends up, is he ends up getting three. I think three is why they did it the way they did. And they could still save a little bit of face and say, see, it's still the longest suspension ever. And it's yet- going to be two. He'll get, he'll get a fine for everyone. They're going to keep the uh, racist one, and they're going to knock the one in half. It's going to be two. You can, if you can go into the stands and dummy a guy, they're, they're not going to make that the same as what Marino did on the field. They can't. And they won't. But they're but they're not. They're making three separate incidents equal out to that level. Yeah, but you put, he, in, you put in a situation what Rose did uh, a couple of years ago. He literally got nothing. But when it was all said and done, he appealed it to nothing. So you cannot tell me that this is not going to end up at two. Don't get me wrong. I hope you're right. But I have no faith in the CFL when it comes to discipline because they've sh- they've given me no reason to give uh, faith in them. And see, I, I'm the opposite. I, I hope you're, I definitely hope you're wrong, but I could also absolutely see you being right and, and them doing it. I just, when I look at it, I, three games is what stands out to me. I, I think we'll find out in a couple of weeks. And now the question becomes, does the team do anything beyond that? Well, before the suspension came out, Craig Dickinson said, yeah, he's not going to play this week and they'll, they'll be in internal fine and whatnot. He ain't going to keep that after. There's no way. So let's say no appeals happen. He misses four games. And you, do you really think they're going to bench him for a fifth? Do you really think no. that's going to happen? Of course not. No, it's going to be got time served. Fr- they got out in front of this. They tried to do the right thing by you know, the PR looks of it. Okay, we'll handle it. They knew the suspension was coming. They knew something was coming. They may not have known four games, but they knew something was coming, but they wanted to get out ahead of it to make themselves look good. That was a PR stunt by Craig Dickinson. Craig, Craig needs to be better at PR. <laughs> it's going to say, are we sure? Like, they they, they need is? to get him in the offseason some PR training because that was the worst fumbling of anything. Like, did they not prep him? Did they just go and, and speak from so, your heart? So that's that's where I want to go next is uh, Craig Dickinson's comments on Monday night when he was on the sports cage with Ballsy. Does his weekly hit on there uh, that he does on Mondays, the coaches show that they do. And they brought this up and it was it was about the race comments. And they, I, you know, how Ballsy feels about that. I'm not going to get into that. Craig Dickinson, he did not get prepped on this at all. The riders PR staff should have sat him down and say, hey, this is coming up tonight on the show. They have to ask you about this. This is what you're saying. This is what you're not saying. When it comes to the race thing, you basically just say, 
you, you wipe your hands clean of it. You don't get into it. But Craig Dickinson decided to say that, well, he's got a black friend, he's got a black friend. He's got a black fiance. He can't possibly racist basically okay. is, it's, is how it comes. No, that's not how things work. I, 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 head, I, 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 sorry, I, 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 I got, I got to do a quick story. So I used to work with an old newbie. We were working with a black guy and uh, this is when I was pipeline and this black guy was doing really well. And then he, he was, he was kind of lighter skinned and uh, the newfie looks at me and goes, you know what? That, uh, uh, that David, he's a really good worker. I wonder what tribe he's from. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like pre Blackfoot, whatever. He's a, he's really good. And I'm like, well, no, David is, uh, he's black. The most racist crap came out of his mouth. I've ever heard in my life. Just because you don't like one race doesn't mean you're not racist. Like, sorry, just because you like one, like you, you only hate one race or don't like one race doesn't mean you can't be racist. He, he was fine with natives. He was fine with everyone else. It was black people. He hated. Like just because Marino knows black people does not, he, he plays with black people. Like that entire logic blows my mind. Like, Oh my God. It is the Bobby. laziest argument I've ever heard. And people keep on making it. And Craig Dickinson was one of the first ones to do it. And he said after the interview, after all the backlash started happening, that he made a racially insensitive comment, which he did, absolutely, and apologized for that, And but kept bringing it up on Twitter after. And I'm like, what are you doing, Craig? This is ridiculous. Like that's sh- honestly what should have happened is because they knew this kind of stuff was coming up. They should have canceled that hit and did it on a, on a, on a different day. They could have put up Jason Moss instead. They should have pre-recorded not that or, or that, but they're, you think he's going to edit it? Of course not. He's just going to hit play. He's not well, going to edit well, anything. Yeah, no, he won't do that. So yeah. I think with that, obviously I'm not going to go out and label Garrett Marino's anything because I haven't heard any proof. Now I'm not saying that he didn't say it because Nate Behar after the game, he's not going to be that pissed off if something didn't happen. I want Jeremiah Mazzoli. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Mazzoli is not going to come out with his statement that he released on Tuesday night without it actually happening. And whatever kind of investigation that the CFL did, whether it was interviewing a bunch of players on both sides of the of the field, whether it was grabbing audio from microphones that didn't make it on a TSN, whether it was video, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact that multiple people are saying this, you have to take that seriously. And and I don't think I've talked to Jeremiah Mazzoli many times over the last few years, and I don't see him as a person that would ever make something like this up. And with the way that Garrett Marino plays and just everything I've seen from this guy and the edge that he's on, I can see him doing that. I really can. Now I'm not going to go out and say that he did because without proof, it's kind of hard to do that, but it's a really, it's a can of worms, especially with the suspension because you're now, I don't want to say attacking, maybe that's not the right word, but you're, calling in this guy's character, Garrett character. He's got a little bit. And this goes post-football, too. Let's say his football career ends tomorrow for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. It could be injury. It could be cut. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It could be five years from now. He wants to go sell insurance. Who cares? Like, whatever. He's getting a real person's job. They look him up, and they see this. 
oh, well, you're the racist. I'm not going to hire you. Well, if it was never proven, like that, to me, that's that's a lawsuit waiting to happen against the CFL, against whoever. Like that's, it's such a, once you get into there, you need to have the concrete proof. And I mean, honestly, to me, the what Behar and, and Mazzoli said is all the proof I need, but that's not how it works in a court of law. And that's what it might end up coming down to in the long run. Who knows? But that one's going to be, I don't know, because if they appeal that one, I'm curious how that's going to work out because the CFL should actually come out and say exactly what they have on him, whether it's audio, whether it's video, it doesn't matter what it is. They should actually say, we have this. Not that they have to play it for everybody because I don't think they should, but they need to have, say they have something. Yes. Because at this point, you've got Ballsy running around saying, ah, the CFL has nothing. I've, I, everyone I've asked, all my sources say they've got nothing. They've got no video. They've got no audio. And I'm like, it, I don't think they would use, like I said, or unless one of the riders, which would be very weird to turn on your teammate, unless he actually crossed a line that should not be crossed. Um, I don't see a teammate turning on a teammate because that's going to make the locker room a lot of fun later. I, I don't think they would just take the Red Blacks word for it. That being said, do I think he probably said something? Yeah, probably. I, I don't, like you said, I don't see Behar and Mazzoli making this up. And especially if you consider Behar throwing him under the bus for showing up to the keg. I need to go to the keg more often, apparently. I, uh, I can, for the life of me, picture the CFL handing down a suspension without something. But I don't think they need to come out and say that. I, I disagree with that because that's going to give extra leverage to these. These guys like like Ballsy, who is who asked the league for whatever proof they had, as if they have to give the play-by-play guy anything beyond the same release that they gave everybody else. Like, I don't know what he expected. I don't know what league would ever give that information out in that kind of situation. I think they made it. They made it very clear he did something by suspending him. They made it clear they have proof he did something by suspending him. If he appeals it, he'll see what the proof is in said appeal. Beyond that, none of us have any right to figure out, to know what was said. Like, did Ballsy ask for Jerome Messam's videotapes? Like, seriously, like, I'm, at this point, I don't know what the hell's, like, I don't know what the answer is anymore. Like, I, I, I'm not going to defend the guy, but at the same time, like, this is just getting blown up. And I understand we're adding to the fire. We are just adding more to this giant pile of turd. But it's that being said, I don't want him lining up against Cody Vajardo. Cause you know, if you cut him tomorrow, he'd be searching for places near uh, in Edmonton. He'd be, he'd be in Edmonton before that paperwork was filed. I've, I've heard about- people say maybe not with, you know, with Victor Kui and what he's doing at Edmonton. But I feel like he has said, Chris Jones, this is your team. Sign your players. I don't think he's going to step in and step on Jones's shoes. If, if that option comes up, if the league doesn't prevent him from signing elsewhere, he's gone. And like Greg said, no part of me wants to see Garrett Marino line up against our line. I don't know. Put him up against Dan Clark. Maybe they can rehash their fight of 2019 and Dan Clark can knock his ass out again. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> the Jeremiah Mazzoli statement, though, th- this is the part that bugs me, and it's not about the statement itself. It's what's in there. 
there was not one apology from Garrett Marino, from Craig Dickinson for their comments or actions. There was nothing from the rider organization, no apology at all. When the riders are supposed to be the class of the CFL, we're so classy. BS. This is not a classy organization. Sorry. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that makes them not classy. This should be an easy thing for one of the coach, for the head coach. It should be the general manager. It should be the president that calls up the Hamilton Tiger Cats, that calls, or sorry, the Ottawa Red Blacks, but calls Jeremiah Mazzoli directly and says, and, and say, this is not what should be happening. We take responsibility for what happened and we're sorry. Because it's past the injury point now. Like the injury is almost second nature to everything that happened. And for the organization themselves to not actually apologize for how this is all going is kind of a joke to me. And it shows that they have no idea what they're doing in their PR. They have no idea what they're doing. I don't I don't know what you do though. And I, I I'm thinking there's a lot of head scratching going along. Because when's the last time we did an organization like you can't you can't apologize for the injury because unfortunately sports happen, even though Marino probably crossed the line. But injuries happen in sports all the time. So if every team apologized for when a player got injured, there'd be you get one every week. You can definitely apologize for your coach's comments. I think Dickinson needs to have a very a well prep statement that he can read to the media about that. Cause deleting tweets doesn't work, uh, Craig, uh, especially if you leave half a thread in there and just delete the tweet. That was the problem part. I don't know. Like the writers have fumbled the ball on this from a PR standpoint from Friday on. And I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of it because, but do they, that's the problem. Do they need to get themselves out of it? Because you still have probably the loudest portion of the fans, a minority, screaming nothing's wrong, that the league is against the riders, that the other teams are against the riders, that this, like, like it, it, it was, we, we were relitigating Simone Lawrence. Like, it wasn't even the Red Blacks fans that, that the fight started. It was the Ticap fans versus the rider fans. Because immediately it became a whataboutism about Simone Lawrence again. Guys, Zach Kolaris plays in Winnipeg. Can we stop talking about that hit? No, they'll never stop talking about that hit. And I said it on Twitter, and I got a lot of backlash both in my DMs and in the replies. But Garrett Marino is the player that Ryder fans think Simone Lawrence is. Like, Lawrence has made, what, three three hits in his career that are questionable? Does he play on the edge? He sure does, especially lately in his career. Three hits in what? hundred I think I saw the thing. It was 145 games, something like that, versus now four in 12 games. Like, and add in the heritage stuff and the the uh, what's the word? And the celebration after. Like, come on. Uh, we we need to drop the Simone Lawrence hate and move on from it because it makes us look petty every time we bring it up. And again, it's a small minority of the group of the fan base that does it, but they're the ones that seem to get the traction and it needs to stop. And every time someone talks about the heritage stuff and Simone uh, and uh, Mazzoli, all I can think of is, and the stupid CFL Twitter fights. I'm like, did he ask me if he wants pineapple on his pizza? Cause he's from Hawaii. 
because this is the only way I can function. I need to make jokes because this is just so bloody annoying. And I want to start lighting up Ryder fans. I literally do. I say it all the time and I mean it. I love Ryder Nation. I hate Ryder fans because some of you suck. I am sorry. There was no need to defend. See, now I'm going. There's no need to defend this. A line was crossed both in the play and after. Say what you want about the celebration. I don't care. That is just icing on the cake. That was Marino jacked up. Don't care. But the guy is probably not that good. But the plus side is at least we know that now and not after his career is over that he's crazy. So maybe he won't sell any jerseys at this point. Okay, I'm done for a while. On the on the flip side, there's probably a corner of the fan base that'll buy his jersey specifically because of what happened on Friday night. Please no. <laughs> I'll be shocked if we walk into the stadium on the 23rd and there's not Garrett Marino jerseys. My my biggest fear is his first game back, home game back, they announced the starting defense and he gets the biggest cheer because I just feel it coming. I kind of hope it's it's like dead silence, but you know that's that's an impossibility. I'm I'm going to be too busy working on the "you suck" chant to to worry about that. It still didn't take this week. Ah, the opening kickoff presented by Cappy Festion of Royal LePage Genre Realty. Why are you laughing? There's no good way to segue out of this. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh yeah, we're still in the opening kickoff. Yeah, Alex, just so, like I've had enough. Shut up, guys. I have. A lot I want to say about this, but I probably shouldn't. Uh, the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones, of course, with this uh, with this injury to Mazzoli being out 10 to 12 weeks. The Elks traded Nick Arbuckle to the Red Blacks. So his second stint in Ottawa. This time, hopefully, he'll actually play. He didn't Kevin them. Glenn it. Well, he really... did the first time, I guess. Yeah. I was I was hoping it was going to be like, like a Kevin Glenn Argos thing. No, so, I... with the... They, they need uh, a quarterback. So. Yeah, they need a quarterback. He's probably not going to start this week. That's a really tough ask, although I wouldn't be surprised because Nick Arbuckle was the guy that um, Paul Appelis signed in 2020 to be his quarterback. So he clearly sees something in him. And this leaves. Chris Jones obviously saw nothing in him. Yeah. What a waste of $300,000 on the salary cap for the uh, Elks because paying the I bonus for, the GM. which is great. So they were handcuffed with that. And I mean, that's why they only got a fourth round pick in return. I mean, to, frankly, to get anything out of Nick Arbuckle in a, in a trade right now for Edmonton as a win because they were never going to play him. And they only did out of necessity the last couple of games because of injuries. So they're going with Taylor Cornelius this week. And I don't know. It's it's it feels more and more like Vernon Adams to Edmonton is going to happen sooner rather than later. I called in the offseason. I still think like it to me it makes sense. When Montreal signed Harris, it was obvious VA wasn't their guy because it made no sense for them to re-sign him. Like you sign up, you got him for the injury, okay. And then all of a sudden, no, we want him back too. I'm like, well, that's weird. I I got the chance on on Thursday night to see Trey Ford live. I think the Vernon Adams to Edmonton depends entirely on the health of uh, of Ford. I haven't seen if there was anything to his shoulder injury uh, or arm injury, whatever happened. I haven't seen if there's any, anything long-term there. But that kid is fun. That play he made a couple of plays before he went down where he escaped two or three stampeders and bombed it down the field. I, 
I can see him being a Chris Jones guy. He's just that pure athlete that you know Jones loves. So I don't I don't know if uh, if Edmonton or if Vernon Adams ends up in in Edmonton. I'd like to see it because again, he's that pure athlete that Chris Jones loves too. So maybe Jones win got him for the Riders behind Kevin Glenn and Brandon Bridge. And then gave him a Ricky Collins number before they got rid of Ricky Collins. <laughs> oh, Chris Jones never changed. But yeah, no, like, I think the like, that situation in Montreal is also deteriorating now too with the coaches switch and BA. They're paying BA starter money to sit behind Trevor Harris. Like I don't know how that relationship is going to work out too. They got to make a decision on him. Well, Danny Machocha running that team now, and like like he always wanted. Wants the control, which is what he had in college. And he gets it again here in the CFL, being both the GM and the coach for at least the rest of this year. In Montreal? Said, I don't think it's going to work. He said that he wanted to, uh, he wasn't going to hire a head, co- head coach for this year. He's going to hire one for 2023. But it's weird to me because and I think it was Milt Steele that brought this up on the panel. If you were not going to be the long term coach here and you're just filling in, why would you not give one of your assistants a chance? Why would you not give it to Northorpe? Why would you not give it to whoever else? Like, just give it, give it to one of those guys, and maybe they make something happen, and all of a sudden, that's your head coach going forward. Well, the, wor- the worst part is, if they do go on a run, if they somehow right this ship, because they're not that far out of first in the East, because the East sucks, <laughs> like, going into next year, let's say Danny does pull himself out. So you got two options, either... Well, maybe I maybe I can do this job, be, do both jobs because uh, hey, look what would happen after I took over. Or you do step back if the guy doesn't uh, come out come out of the gates blazing. Well, you know what? I can take over again. Like, yeah, it There's, makes no sense not to not to uh, promote an assistant like Noel Thorpe. Like Thorpe is probably one of the next guys on the list to be head coach on any team in this league. I think the problem with hiring one of those assistants to jump in is that if they even get, you know, a decent finish to the season, suddenly you have that you have to either keep them in that role or like, how do you, how do you unpromote a guy at the end of the year? That's well, technically speaking, that's how we got stuck with Craig Dickinson. And I don't mean stuck, but (laughs) Craig was, had to be hired because of the salary cap, uh, the coach's cap. They basically had to hire from within. Craig was the best guy and the team looked good underneath him. So it's right. not necessarily it's, it's that a, bad. It's an easy decision if the guy steps in and looks good, but if the guy steps in and looks okay or not good at all, but you want him to stick around in whatever other role he, he was in before, for instance, Thorpe, how do you do that without saying, hey, yeah, you suck as a head coach, but we still want you on our staff, right? Like that's that's a risk if if they are in a position you want them to stay in. But technically speaking, the... your, your head your head coach hires your staff anyways, usually, or decides who they want. So you, you bring in a new head coach, chances are he might change over the entire staff anyway. There's two names here for Edmund or for Montreal that I'm thinking for next year. And everyone's Moss. making the yeah, everyone's making the first one with uh, Jason Moss. Um, played for Machocha in Edmonton. Um, so they have the relationship there, which hey, to me, um, as much as I was just praising Jason Moss last week and to start off this show, if uh, Jason Moss were to go to Montreal and you can bring in Kahari Jones as your offensive coordinator, 
Look what Kahari Jones did in 2013 as the offensive coordinator for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That's a trade-off I would take any day of the week. Plus, and, how fun would it be to have Jason or Jason have Jason Moss, noted run game specialist, with William Stanbeck in the backfield? Just I like that. I, I would take that all day, every day. Right. And the other name that's uh, that might interest me is Anthony Calvillo. He's going to be uh, calling the plays here for the offense going forward for Montreal. Maybe this is his next step. I know that's a, a really quick promotion to a head coach for, you know, just being a quarterback's coach right now. Um, but this is also Anthony friggin' Calvillo we're talking about. Well, I'm kind of wondering quarterback if, of all time in the CFL. I'm not going to lie. That my, my tinfoil hat was kind of wondering if that was a plan. This is a way to insulate AC to basically give him a test run as uh, head coach. And then Danny can step off as the puppet master in the, in the booth next year. But oh, it's very interesting. But I, I just glad no one's talking about Shivers. So let's keep it that way. Talk about Moss, not Shivers. Jason Shivers should be on everybody's short list starting next year. And if the riders were smart, you're going to promote him at some point to, I mean, I'm not saying get rid of Dickinson. That's not what I'm saying, but maybe you add another title for Jason Shivers assistant the head, head coach. coach. Yeah. Like you, you give him something and you can throw a little bit more money at him. Whatever you can to keep that guy, you do because what he has done is fantastic. That defense I don't know if, is if so you keep, good. Uh, if you keep Greg Dickinson's Twitter account going, he might, uh, he might just easily get uh, Jason Shiver stepped up into head coach before the end of the year. Uh, I just want to say how much I love Roland Milligan. That guy is bloody. What a find. What a find. And now he's a little bit. No, they brought the Riders brought back Blaze Brown. um, I guess more as of insurance than anything on the defensive backfield. Um, Because Milligan got nicked up a couple times in that game. He was everywhere. Like that he guy, all over the field, and, no he plays, and he plays to the line of scrimmage too. Like he's getting down in there. Like that's that's not something you see a halfback do a lot of in the CFL. Um, he's looking fantastic. So you find a guy like that, and that's the reason why you can let Ed Ganey walk and not even offer him a contract. So great find for the Riders there, um, Greg. I do have to say, uh, last week Winnipeg looking so beatable. Um, yeah, no. How come nobody's beat them? <laughs> As You're he, number he, one. You're yeah, number one. Me, uh, the old stone cold salute there. That hey. game went exactly how I thought it was. BC, yeah. I, li- I like what BC's done. And I like what the story of Nathan Rourke. And I think he's going to continue to look good. But that was their first real test. And Winnipeg took the opening kick. Once they took the opening kickoff for a touchdown, I was like, there it is. That's That's the team that never seems to lose over the last couple of years since um, Zach Caleros has been in Winnipeg in meaningful games, ones that actually matter, not ones where games or where the standings don't matter because they've already clinched first place. They're 21 and one. Zach Caleros is 21 and one with the Bombers. They're the class of the league right now. And it's not even close. In my defense, so, I, I just want to quote uh, Smooth Jimmy Apollo. When you're right 52% of the time, you're wrong 48% of the time. Another Simpsons reference. Uh, come on. Like, neither team played anyone of note. And yeah, Winnipeg is Winnipeg. What, like, don't get me wrong. Winnipeg is still Winnipeg. 
And BC made it interesting in that second half. I don't think if Winnipeg jumped out to that much of a lead, uh, I think it would have been a little bit differently. But like when an opening kickoff goes back, you're, you're in for a long night. So, so what you're saying, Greg, is if Winnipeg doesn't score as many points, that game is a whole. That's lot exactly closer. what happens. Exactly, that you know, a bold shout out. If there. the other team doesn't score more points than you, you got a good shot of winning. I'm gonna throw this out there right now. I we're what five five weeks into the season, Winnipeg finishes third in the West. Actually, Bank I think that's it. right. I think that's right. I think I got them anyway. Uh, I don't want to BC high. I know that though. Uh, yeah, I still like what BC's doing. I think they've got a good good core, and yeah, they're they're going to turn it around and probably mollywop the next team they play. But I don't know. I. I just love the fact, though, that another uh, million dollars got uh, wiped off the board by a really bad holding penalty. At least that one—that was a legit penalty, though. When you look at it, you're like, "Yeah, okay, that was a hold. That was—that's that, fine." But man, I want to see somebody get that million dollars. Didn't get screwed like Karen from Winnipeg. Uh, that was that—that yeah, that, uh, that was a tic tac play. That was—that was, that was almost to this date is when that happened. Actually, I think yeah. it was uh, like the 14th or 15th of July. Something like that. So, yeah, poor Karen from Winnipeg, still paying for her groceries. Um, <laughs> At this point, like, save ons in the uh, earpiece of the referees. Call a penalty. Yeah, that's a hold. That's a hold. Throw a flag. Um, let's get to this Riders Argos game on Saturday. Touchdown Atlantic, 12 p.m. early game. Uh, I'll actually be able to stay awake for all this. Um, I'm not worried about Toronto at all. With anything, honestly, they're the only thing that might give the Riders a bit of a problem is Andrew Harris, and I say that because of the Riders' D line. Pain in the ass. That and um, Riders' D line missing two starters: Pete Robertson, the best defensive player in the league right now, and now obviously Garrett Marino in the middle. So they are missing two starters. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they hold up. I I'm not as worried. Don't get me wrong. Robertson and Marino, um, production aside, are great to have around. Um, uh, Robertson especially. You're probably going to roll Charleston Hughes out there, which he as a backup. Hey, I don't care. Like he, he didn't play last game, so his pitch count should be high this week. Um, and you still got AC Leonard out there. You still got Lanier. I, I'm not that concerned. Your DBs are going to be good. Um, and our our linebackers, I think, will be able to smother that run anyway. So we we talked at the beginning of the year how much depth we had in the defensive line, and that was before we knew what Pete Robertson was going to be. I I'm not even a little concerned about uh, about where. Uh, where we're going to sit come the end of the of this game like our Keon, defense will be fine actually Keon Adams stepped in for uh Robertson after he went down and those last five minutes he looked really good too I think he got a sack or uh, at least a one sack at the end of that game so and Christmas on the d-line actually has looked right. uh looked all right as well too and they have the oh I'm blanking on his first name last name is Brown uh, big dude, six oh, yeah. two, three hundred and twenty pounds. So he can be that, uh, you know, that run stopper plugger in the middle of the D line at, at tackle. So it's just the inexperience of, of those guys together is the only thing. But 
We'll see how that happens. You got the beer too. The beer, the beer's good up the middle. So it's. I absolutely refuse to celebrate anybody named Christmas before December. So I'm sorry if he does anything. Oh, isn't it PSL time yet? Is it PSL time first? Nope, it's not September. What about the movie Dumb and Dumber? The greatest movie ever made. It's a solid movie. Lloyd Christmas. Best the soundtrack of a movie ever. Solid movie. It's a it's a good Christmas movie. Yeah, Lloyd Christmas. I really want to get into Steve. Get into this with Steve, but he's got his kid beside him, so uh, we'll uh, we'll debate that <laughs> a little bit later. Maybe when the kid your kid goes to bed. <laughs> um, let's get. I mean, I'd like to talk more about this game, but that's not. We're we're not getting any updates from the team on injuries or anything. Mitch Picton, uh, who knows if he's going to play or not? Didn't practice on Tuesday because he got rolled up on uh, one of the runs. Uh, yeah, that one looked like it hurt. He, yeah. he bent the wrong way. But Kyran Moore lining up with a helmet on. Yeah, didn't do a lot of running or anything, but that is promising. Craig Dickinson did say that uh, maybe after the bye week in August is when they can look at uh, possibly having Kyron Moore back. So. I mean, we'll talk about this in, in the coming weeks, but you get that starting receiver group of Duke Williams, Shaq Evans, healthy, and Kyron Moore in there, and Keen Schaefer-Baker. I'll put those four against absolutely anybody in the league, and I'll say ours is better. But we also got to get our ratio figured out at that point because that, that extra Canadian has really, really helped us in the back end of the ratio. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a tomorrow problem. We don't have to worry about that today. Um, let's get to our uh, pick them here this week. I think we're going to be pretty consensus on most of these games. Um, the first one Thursday night, uh, Edmonton at Montreal. I got Montreal. I really don't want Danny Machocho to win a game, but I'm, I'm going to have to take him on this one. Yeah, Montreal will win that one. Uh, game of the week, two unbeaten teams again for the second straight week. Calgary at Winnipeg. Calgary by two scores. Which one is which fan base is going to be the most unbearable? It's always Winnipeg. Have you watched Winnipeg. in the last couple of years? Yeah, that's true. I got to take Winnipeg at home. Sorry. Yeah, Winnipeg at home. But I think this is going to be a fantastic game. I think, I think Bo Levi's back. So this will be this will be a really good game. It's going to be the defense for Winnipeg that just they come up with one clutch play at the end of the game that seals it somehow. And they and have the loudest stadium-assisted fans, so they should be fine. Uh, touchdown Atlantic. The Riders. Uh, it's a road game for the Riders at Toronto. Out in uh, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. The the big winner is going to be the Maritimes football fans. Uh, I'm sure that's what the CFL is going to say. Uh, Riders, obviously. Uh, yeah, Saskatchewan. Yep, two scores for the Riders. And uh, Ottawa at Hamilton. It's, it's East versus East. Nobody wins. Hamilton's going to get their first win. Yeah. I'm going to call it tie. Of course you would. I haven't done that in a while. He's been right a couple times. I, well, it was Ottawa. Like Ottawa, Ottawa is no Ottawa, Calgary. Yep. Ottawa, Calgary. Yep. Steve, why don't you put money down on a tie just to see what happens? Oh, I might. I might. The odds are usually pretty low or pretty high on those. Good okay, I put, I put five bucks down on Tiger Woods to win the Open this week. So if I'm not here next week, it's going to retiring off those odds. I don't hate that bet. That's his favorite course. Yes, it is. Uh, 
Piffles Podcast. That's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. I wish we were talking more football, but of course, that's not the big story this week. We'll we'll get back to talking more football next week, of course. Um, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as well to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. And great to have uh, a little guest here at the at the very end of the show. He's uh, going to us out, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, getting, I'm being attacked with tickles right now. <laughs> Steve, of course, having uh, Sun Parker there in the basement, so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, Piffles Podcast is a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert. The Ghost.